8.04 and this novel coronavirus pandemic has led countries around the world to close borders, although the World Health Organization has urged the international community to pull together to tackle the outbreak. And many are asking how this crisis will affect globalization, even bring an end to it or perhaps a new normal. Dr. Nancy Snow, Walt Disney Chair, Schwarzman College, Xinhua University, and Pax Mundi Professor of Public Diplomacy, Kyoto University of Foreign Studies, joins us on the line from New York. So that's a nice collection of titles and background there. Thank you very much for rejoining our show, Dr. Snow. Oh, well, I'm glad to be on with you. And I am actually located, when you say New York, this is even part of the conversation now. As you know, New York City is getting hit so hard uh, with the outbreak. And uh, I am in the Finger Lakes region, so about four and a half hours north of the city. But part of the problem in New York, it has to do with globalization, even though this is why we love New York City and many of us really identify with it. It is so international. It is full of diasporas from all over. And this is why we like the energy and the dynamism of the city. And we see this in a lot of our cities that are celebrated, including Seoul. Uh, are they attract people, but um, as the virus has spread, of course, it's impacting to a to a terrible degree the New York City metro area. But I'm just glad to be with you to have this discussion. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you look at these gl- truly global cities, it uh, it really is possible to imagine at this time uh, that they, they must be losing a lot of their atmosphere, um, their, lo- their global atmosphere. But when we speak about globalization, there are different features. It's not just about visitors and international residents. It's also about trade and, and politics and cooperation. Are they all being threatened right now? Well, yes and no. And actually, I think to your listeners, I would um, have them take a look at a an article. It's sort of like a new version of the Clash of Civilizations. It came out in early March. It's by a writer uh, named Victor Davis Hanson, and the title was Globalization Bleeding. And it's uh, it, it's about sort of a sense of you know, the cosmopolitans 20 years ago uh, were just gushing over the technology, instant communications, free-flowing capital, international corporations, and now look at them. You know, he, he's, he's sort of suggesting the chickens have come home to roost. All of us globetrotting types were having to stay in place, shelter mm. in place. And he's making this indictment of globalization. But, hey, globalization goes on. It will continue. We are figuring out new ways to maintain our ties to each other. But I think that the way that he's presenting it, Hansen, is this economic uh, globalization threat. But he's also going after the, the sort of elites uh, who uh, go to the best universities and just think nothing of hopping on a plane to go take a trip to a you know warmer climate and somehow that can be threatening to a lot of nativist thinkers 
uh, which we see uh, the president of the United States play into. Yeah, well, uh, that the outside world is sort of the mean world. I do want to pick up on the president of the United States, and and a few other world leaders would fit in this category as well, because even before COVID nineteen, you might argue globalization was under threat, maybe not under mortal threat, but under temporary short-term difficulty due to a rise in protectionism. And that effectively deals with the uh, political and trade sides, but it also would potentially have made it harder for people to resettle in other countries. Right. Yeah, it was under threat. That's right. And and to some people, you know, protectionism has worked, uh, at least in the short term, been a good negotiation tool for Trump uh, with in uh, the United States with China. Uh, China is so integrated, though, into all of our societies and our buying choices. Uh, we forget that we're all so interdependent. This is why we've had the spread of the pandemic. It's very much a part of who we are now in this globalization process. So, uh, you know, w- w- what would we like to have instead of a global society or a globalist society? I don't know what we would prefer to have in its place. We can't just go hide under a rock. I mean, we're we're having to change our lifestyles, at least temporarily, and it could go on months, perhaps even a year or more uh, if we don't get a vaccine. But this is a time to really reflect on what type of a global society we want. How much do we want to give up in terms of our individual rights and liberties to governments? Uh, You know, we're asking a lot of critical questions now, and we're having to really reflect on that with all the time that we have on our hands, at least for some of us, not all, of course. I mean, is there also a sense, though, that here we are talking about this in the 21st century, uh, we might feel more enlightened that we are repackaging globalization which at its heart if you go back across the centuries ever since long distance sea travel for example became possible has been um, a largely selfish endeavor hasn't it it's not been necessarily rooted in trying to help the world but more about seeing what possibilities might be there for the individuals paying for those ventures Right. Are you talking about Columbus? Well, I mean, I I don't necessarily want to pick on Columbus himself. I mean, this was something that was happening um, throughout the region, obviously. Many European countries were interested in um, going to Africa. They decided, of course, at some point to sail west to India, which (laughs) had its own consequences. But, I mean, just in a very broad stroke, this general idea that globalization would have come about as a result of many, many of those actions, they weren't at their roots, uh, the, the kind of globalization that we're talking about more benevolently today. Well, you're right, and I suppose it depends on whom you uh, get your inspiration from. And for me, it's always been people like uh, Margaret Mead, <laughs> you know, writing about uh, having the cultural anthropological perspective that we can really learn from the uh, advocacy of citizens to really take on the responsibility of the kind of um, society they want to build on their own terms. They don't don't have to wait for 
these uh, these pioneers out there or rely on them so much anymore. I mean, ultimately, I think what we're learning here with the pandemic is that the individual has to uh, rely on oneself more than ever. The family, then sticking closer to home, you, you have to become more self-reliant, self-responsible. I think that's a good thing to come out of this, mm. to not give up so much of our power to these uh, imperialists or whatever they may be, the, the adventurers. Um, and I think, too, what we're going to see more of, if, if you're familiar with this uh, Edelman Trust Barometer, I've been sort of monitoring that in my research because there, there's 20 years of this data coming from the Edelman firm, uh, the, the large global uh, PR firm. And what they found in their 2020 release, 20 years after their first uh, barometer, their first survey, is that um, in terms of trust, we actually tend to, we, we trust governments less. We trust, uh, you know, the idea of a world government less. We're certainly seeing a lot more nationalism come into play and ultra-nationalism. But we trust the people we work for and uh, the, our employers. There, there's a high degree of trust in employers, and, you're, and many of us work for companies, corporations, so corporate actors are becoming more important. Mm. And we also tend to trust NGOs. So that's interesting when you look internationally what's happening. We're having this sort of like brouhaha in the U.S. about not enough ventilators, not enough beds. You know, the military alone can't do it. We can't completely rely on government. So Trump has called on the private sector, and these companies are stepping up. They're very aware of their corporate uh, image and also corporate social responsibility in tough times. They want to get their customers back. They also want to get their people back to work. And uh, they have the economies of scale to really take action when the red tape of the government, uh, it, it just, we don't have time for that. So it's so interesting to see some of the heroes emerging already, uh, the public health workers, the scientists, also the uh, provincial, the governors, the state governor, um, you know, Governor Cuomo, really taking on this executive exchange this uh, back and forth with the national government leader of, of Trump. It's been fascinating to see how this has played out. And I think that people are going to be more interested in their civic roles in society coming out of this. But again, I'm sounding very sanguine. I, I suppose <laughs> there, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot mm -hmm. of um, terrible yeah. statistics there. And I'm very aware of them. You know, I'm teaching my Schwartzman class right now in public diplomacy online. And the focus is on sort of COVID diplomacy, looking at the media and information aspects of this new global pandemic. And it actually sort of came into the fore at the time we were starting the class a few weeks right. ago. So we had to focus on it. But, um, you know, we can talk about all the bad, but we are we are really awash in the bad news every day coming just from the, the, the news. And, and we have to stop, take a breath and search for some balance 
and think about, well, how is this going to change our ways of life going forward? How can we improve upon the way we were in 2019? I mean, yeah, you're the right. reason we call it the 2019. I mean, th- there is this opportunity here as well. Uh, there, there may be a tendency or an instinct, as you touched on before, to become very nationalistic and to uh, enclose ourselves. But if we can protect ourselves while also supporting others, there's there's an opportunity to to grow in cooperation. And coming back to the public side, because I know the private sector and its response is fascinating that you just touched on, but we do have governments getting together. They're going to have a G20 teleconference later. What do you expect to come of that? And, and what do you even think about the idea of it at this moment in time? Oh, I think it's really important to have that. I've been following the G7, G20, living in Japan, have actually covered these, have gone there as media. And uh, really, you know, you see the importance of those face-to-face meetings. There, There's sort of a pageantry to it. And um, maybe not a whole lot will come out of these. But I think it's important to show uh, an opportunity for collaboration and for partnership. These are values that are going to become more important to global publics. Uh, the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we talk a lot about soft power or nation brands these days, but really the most powerful entity now is public opinion. And the public is watching more than ever. We saw that even play out with the Tokyo Olympics decision. A lot of, you know, heel dragging and sort of wishing it would just go away. And then finally, there was so much international pressure. And even the Japanese people themselves didn't want to hold the Olympics this summer. All of this comes into play, though, with these. G7, G20 meetings. Uh, Japan has recently hosted those, and it was very important to Japan's brand image, nation brand image, to make sure that these ran smoothly. Well, now they're going online. This could create actually more cooperation from a distance uh, than than if they were meeting face-to-face, because there's just so much of uh, just this pageantry, you know, when they meet face-to-face, the fancy dinners and um, with the international media there. But now it's a chance maybe for some of us to sort of tune in and to pay closer attention, like what I was saying earlier with developing more of a civic identity and seeing the value in these meetings, how they can lead to continued negotiation towards some global uh, problem like you know, before the COVID-19, what was it? Climate change. This was a major focus. Well, well that's a baton that and has to be picked up again. <laughs> Dr. Snow, we are out of time, but that is certainly a baton that needs to be picked up again. It's been fascinating hear from, hearing from you, as always, and uh, we hope to catch up with you again in, in better times. Good luck there with your students online for now. Okay, thank you so much. Talk.